We're going to look at the whole chapter here. The first 11 verses perhaps a little bit more closely, but we'll be working our way through chapter 13 this morning. Photography is a small voice at best. But sometimes one photograph can lure our sense of awareness. Photography is a small voice at best. But sometimes one photograph can lure our sense of awareness. That was at the end of a video that I watched recently on the world's most famous photographs. The show about a series of photographs that the world has come to know according to the people who put the film together. Most of the photographs you would have been familiar with if you had seen them. Some of them were inspiring. The first man on the moon. Martin Luther King standing at the mall in Washington, D.C. Soldiers raising the flag at Iwo Jima. The kiss. Remember the kiss between the sailor and the nurse at Times Square in New York City at the end of, or the announcement of the end of World War II. Several of these single photographs, very inspiring photographs, came across in the documentary. But I noticed that most of the photographs were more disturbing. They weren't the same kind of inspiring photograph that you would see of a man on the moon or raising a flag. They struck something very disturbing, and especially if you remember what the association was to the event. Some of you will remember these pictures. A nine-year-old girl who's running down the street without any clothes on because she's been burned from a napalm attack in Vietnam. I mean, that picture made its way across our culture. A fireman carrying a child away from the bombing at the Oklahoma City building. The child is a bit bloodied and bruised, and he's looking down at the child, speaking to it. And you find out later he's whispering to this young child, everything's going to be okay. And he didn't know that the child had already died. There's a picture of a starving child on the, the ground in the Sudan in the 1990s trying to make his way to a refugee camp. And you see the child on the ground, and in the background is a vulture. It's just a single photograph, but it creates a very disturbing kind of feeling when you see it. Almost everyone here has seen the mushroom cloud over Hiroshima. All these little single photos, whether they're inspiring or disturbing, they're meant to, to stir something up in you. Just like it says at the end of the, of the film, it, it, perhaps these single photographs can lure you in. 
help you see something just in this one photograph that, that maybe you're just unaware of. And by, and by putting up this single photograph, then you become aware of something that maybe you've been missing your whole life. It's said that a picture is worth a, a thousand words. And the prophet Jeremiah, when we come to him, he lives in a nation where the people, the, the church-going people, are increasingly moving away from God. It's the church-going people in Jeremiah's town and his nation. They're the ones who are turning towards the culture and pursuing prosperity and pleasure. And they're hearing all the promises that the culture is barking out to them. And they're, they're beginning to be turned away from the Lord. And they're going after those gods. And so God, trying to recapture the attention of His people, He handcrafts Jeremiah. And as we saw last week, His, his name means God hurled. And so he handcrafts his young preacher, his young prophet, and he hurls them into this nation who's turning away from God, who's going towards the things of the culture, trying to be an alarm clock. One that can't ever be turned off. So for 40 years, Jeremiah sounds the alarm in sermon after sermon after sermon. Turn around! It's the people inside the church that are creating most of the problems. If you could let go of the, the prosperity and the promises of the culture, if you could turn your attention back to God, then things would be well with you. But the, the people don't listen. The pastor preaches one fiery sermon after another, but the people aren't paying attention. And so Jeremiah decides he would try using pictures. You might think of chapter 13 as Jeremiah's attempt at PowerPoint. He, he stands in his pulpit today and instead of preaching the fiery sermon, he just pulls up the PowerPoint presentation and he just shows one photograph and then another photograph just hoping that it would disturb or disrupt or capture the attention of his audience to say, I'm going in the wrong direction. And maybe this one photograph would capture my attention and bring it back towards God. This morning I want to look at five pictures. We'll spend most of our time just on the first one, which David read from chapter 13, 1 through 11, we'll see the five photographs that Jeremiah puts together in this little presentation in Jeremiah 13. Then you're going to notice Jeremiah's despair as the pastor. It's very discouraging as a pastor when you preach your heart out and then nobody pays attention. And now that's not the case here. I'm just telling you that could be very frustrating week after week for 40 years. We see Jeremiah's despair. And then we know, we know God's not done 
with the photo album. There's one more picture that Jeremiah doesn't see quite yet that's God's ultimate picture of hope. So the five pictures, Jeremiah's despair and then God's picture of hope. Let's look at the five pictures first. Chapter 13, 1 through 11. God instructs Jeremiah to go get a, a linen belt. It's not a skinny little belt like we would have today. It's more like a girdle or a sash, something that you would wrap around your waist. It might go down towards your thighs, and it would be something that would cling to you. It might be something that a priest would wear or a king would wear, and he gets a brand new one. It's not ever been washed or anything. And he, he walks around in Jerusalem and in his people, and he's walking around with this fine linen belt, and no doubt everybody's noticing, hey, he's got this fine belt on. It's really unique. I wonder why he has this on. And then he travels some distance all the way to the Euphrates, maybe 500 miles. And Jeremiah has gone for some number of days. He tucks the linen belt into the crevice of a rock, sort of buries it there, and he goes back. People are saying, well, where, what, what happened to that belt? I mean, that was, that was a nice belt belt that he had on. number of days pass and Jeremiah has to go back and get the belt. And he pulls it out and of course it's been rained on, it's been stuffed into the ground and it's now worthless according to Jeremiah. And he comes walking back in the town wearing now the soiled or rotten belt. And people are noticing the picture, they're saying, that, that used to be that really nice belt that Jeremiah had. What's happened to it? It's completely rotten. I can't believe he even has it on. And so Jeremiah uses this as his first picture. You see, people of God, you are made as a beautiful belt to wrap around God Almighty, to show Him off. But something's happened. You've become rotten. You've become worthless. You've been lured away to other places. You've stuffed yourself into cracks and crevices that have made promises that really have just worn you out. And now you're no good. The first question of the Westminster Confession of Faith in the Shorter Catechism. You know what it asks? What is the chief end of man? What is man's ultimate purpose? And what's the answer? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Your purpose, the Westminster Confession of Faith says is, as a human, all humanity, is to bring glory to God. And if you've ever wondered, well, where did that come from other than the Westminster Confession of Faith? Where did that come from in the Bible? And you see it in Jeremiah chapter 13, right here in verse 11. As For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Judah to cling to me, that they might be... For me, 
If you're looking in your Bible, circle that. This is what these people were made for. They were made for me so that they might be a people. They might have a name. They would be a praise and a glory to God. The word glory in the Hebrew here means, the the original word means ornament. The people of God were to be like an ornament. Something that hangs there and brings attention to the thing that it's clinging to. And so women understand this. Uh, you, You put on a bracelet. You put on a necklace. You put something in your hair. You wrap something around your neck or around your waist. What's the purpose? What's one of the purposes of that? To enhance your look. And so God is saying, do you see that picture? You are meant to wrap around me, much like a priest or a king would wrap something around himself, to enhance his look. You are meant to wrap around me to enhance my look. You're like this fine ornament that I've hung out there. So when people see you, they look up and they see something even greater. They see God. Genesis chapter 1, you see this incredible picture. God begins to place the ornaments. The stars and the moon and the sun, the land and the sea. And all of creation is meant for what purpose? To glorify God. The heavens declare, the psalmist says, the glory of God. And when God looks at all of His creation, He says it's good. Until He gets to the sixth day. And on the sixth day, He creates man and woman in His image. It's like you and I are the star on the top of the tree of creation. We're the ultimate thing. We're the ultimate piece of the created order that is supposed to shine brightest for God's glory. We're like this finely hung ornament so that when people would see us, we uniquely as humanity, made in the image of God, people would see us and say, I see something even greater, I see God by looking at you. That, that's what we're meant to live like. And God looks down and says, it's very, very good. But something happened. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, calls it the great sin. It's the sin that underlines every other sin. And he calls it pride. And we see it here in Jeremiah. We know it from Proverbs 16. Pride goes before the fall. The the creation preferred to highlight itself rather than the Creator. The, The people who were made like human highlighters that were supposed to come along and mark out God so that He he was even brighter by our markings. The human highlighter has decided to turn in on itself and color itself. So instead of drawing attention to the Creator, 
we're drawing attention to ourselves. Would you please notice me? It's a problem not just in Genesis, it's a problem in Jeremiah. And so he returns, he has this soiled or rotten belt on. And it's a photograph that Jeremiah uses to help his congregation see something that they're not hearing. Do you see? You're meant to highlight me, but you're just highlighting yourself. Your whole world is wrapped around you. And God intersects that world just as long as He's going to do what you need Him to do that you can't do. And so He's really nothing more than sort of this cosmic butler that you pray to and say, God, here's my list for today. If you could work on that while I'm doing my thing, that'd be real helpful. When I mentioned this last week, when we went to Peru, it was very easy to see that the people in the church were serving Two different gods, because on top of their house, they had a cross, and then they had these two strong-looking bulls on each side of the cross. And then some had bottles up there, some had a ladder. And of course, the cross was a symbol of Christianity, but the, the bulls were symbols of prosperity or fertility. The bottles represented alcohol, so it was festivity. A ladder represented increasing prosperity. So you got to see in Cusco, Peru, that there were churches and there were people filling those churches and they brought that home and they put it on top of the roof with the other gods that they were also serving. And I asked this question, what else besides a cross might be on your roof? And somebody emailed me back this week and said, you know, if I had to say that there was one other thing on my roof, it'd be a picture of myself. You see what's happened in Genesis. You, you see it show up again in Jeremiah 13. But you see it in yourself, do you not? That really you're still in competition. You, you need to make sure you get noticed. That people are highlighting what you're doing instead of living for God. Matthew 5.16, Jesus comes along and says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We're not trying to hide our deeds. We're not trying to be nothing. We're trying to, trying to be a great ornament that people do see and say, wow, that's incredible. What a beautiful belt. But then notice the person wearing the belt. And so we're not hiding our talents. We're using them in a way that when people look at them and they go, that's amazing, then you deflect that attention to, no, 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 let me tell you who's really amazing is the Creator. That's the first picture. The second picture is jars of wine, and we'll go through these much more quickly. You see it in verses 12 through 14. Jeremiah is saying, you know, we live in a land where, where all the, the glasses are filled from these big jugs of wine, and let every jug be filled, and everybody's going, of course, yes, we want all our jugs of wine to be filled. So when they pour out, they 
pouring this great joy into our lives. And Jeremiah said, you see that picture? What's coming out now, what's coming out of the jar into your life, into your cup, is the wrath of God. Because of your disobedience, because of you trying to chase after me and chase after other gods, what you're going to get from me is this pouring out of my wrath on your life. The third picture comes in verse 16. Give glory to the Lord your God before He brings darkness. Before your feet stumble on the twilight mountains. And while you look for light, He turns it into gloom. And He makes it deep darkness. You see, in in their time, all of the Baals, all the false gods were up on the top of the mountains. And so you'd always go up and worship these other gods. And Jeremiah is saying, you're up on these mountains and you're stumbling around in the dark. You're serving these other gods that you think, oh, they're going to bring light. If I can just get this one job, if I can just get this one person, if I can just get this one thing to go my way, then light is going to break into my life. And he's saying, it's not going to be that way. It's going to be gloomy darkness. You're going to be like a man on a mountain and the sun is setting and it's getting darker and darker and darker. That's the third picture. The fourth picture, verse 18. Say to the king and the queen mother, take a lowly seat for your beautiful crown has come down from your head. Jeremiah looks out in his congregation and, of course, he has a number of just ordinary people. And then he notices the king and the queen. Or the king and the queen mother. And he says, God's wrath is coming out on you. You yourselves, you're going astray. Even in your high position, your crown has fallen off of your head. You're going to get a lowly position. And finally, perhaps the most graphic and disturbing of all the pictures comes at the end of the chapter, verse 26. This is God speaking to His people. I myself will lift up your skirts over your face and your shame will be seen your adulteries, your whorings. You see, people of God, Jeremiah saying, I'm looking at you on a Sunday morning and you've got a pretty face. You might even be fooling the person in the pew. You could certainly be fooling the pastor because on Sunday morning, everybody's got a pretty face. But when God comes along, He's going to lift up your skirt. And He's going to find out that really you've been giving your body away. And everyone's going to see it. You're hiding it now with a smile with the right kind of words. 
by coming to church on Sunday mornings, by putting some money in the plate. Everybody can see your pretty face, but underneath Jeremiah is saying, we're going to lift up your skirt and we're going to find out if you've been serving somebody else. It reminded me of the picture that Charles Amesey, who is the pastor in Haiti that we support, he mentioned this to us, I think one time when he was here, that the Catholic priests, some of the Catholic priests in Haiti will wear their robes, but they're really men who still practice voodoo. And he said, Paul, how you'll know it is that underneath their robes, they'll have another skirt. And there'll be all these kind of symbols on the skirt serving the voodoo gods. You can't see it from the outside. They look awfully nice from the outside. They have a cross hanging down from their neck and they can say the lingo, but when you pull up their skirts, you find out that really they spent their whole life serving something else or someone else or maybe just themselves. They've got a picture of you on your skirt. This isn't a pleasant PowerPoint presentation. I mean, if today is the day you invited your neighbor or friend, you're already trying to think of a conversation in your car. Hey, it's not always like that. You know, you need to come back next week. I mean, I mean, it's difficult, is it not, to hear it? It's certainly a challenge to deliver it. Imagine Jeremiah having to stand and tell the people in Jerusalem this is what they like. But Jeremiah isn't thundering out this sermon. You notice in verse 17 what it says? He's weeping. He's looking at his people. He's delivered the fiery sermon with all the hand motions and everyone sat there and then went away and did whatever they wanted to do. And so finally he comes up and he's weeping. He's pleading with the people. Please turn around. Can you not see that you're serving things that are not bringing life, that are not bringing light, that are not bringing health? Can't you see that really on the outside... You may be fooling us all, but on God, God on the inside, He knows. He can see. And then we come into this place of great despair. Verse 23. Can an Ethiopian change his skin? Or can a black man change his skin? It's not a racial comment. It's just a factual comment. Can a white person change the color of his skin? Can a leopard change his spots? I mean, is it possible to do that? And the answer is no, you can't. And so he ends his PowerPoint with this question. How long will it be before you are made clean? How long will it be before... You were made clean. You hear what's happening there? You can't clean yourself. 
How long will it be before you clean yourself up? That's not what Jeremiah said. The worst thing you could do is walk away from this sermon saying, I just got to clean myself up. He's right. I'm doing these things. I got to stop doing these things and I got to start doing these things. That's believing that you can clean yourself up. And Jeremiah is saying, you can't. You're spotted. You can't take those spots away by your own self. And he's wondering out loud, how long will it be before you're made clean? Before somebody from the outside comes in and says, you can't clean yourself. I will take it on and I'll clean you up. Pretty sure I've used this illustration about Zachary before. We're at our countertop. He's in the little clip-on high chair. You know what those things are? They look terribly unsafe, but you clip them on, you put your very valuable kid in it, and hope they hold. And so we've got him clipped on, and he's sitting there. He's probably about a year and a half old, and Nancy's pregnant with Morgan. And he's eating whatever very gross thing you give to your kid when they're a year and a half. Stuff you would never eat. You don't even want to smell it, but you're shoveling it in. And he's looking all happy until what happens? Little problem, indigestion, and he just barfs all over himself. So here he is, he's a year and a half, he's sitting there, mess all over him. Pregnant wife, already prone to sickness, gets a little whiff of this. And she's running very quickly as far away as she can, saying, you help your son. And Zachary turns to me with his arms out. Just a mess. He can't clean himself up. His dad has to come in. And pick him up in his mess. I didn't pull out a hose and say, well, you know, we've got to clean you off first. His dad has to come in and get messy himself and say, son, I love you. Daughter, I love you. I'm going to pick you up in this mess and I'm going to clean you off. I'm going to make you clean. And so we see and we know as Christians what the last great picture is. I mean, Jeremiah leaves us with five very disturbing pictures But Jesus Christ comes in and says, now let me turn all of these pictures around for you. Jeremiah, we're left with the spoiled linen belt. Then in Revelation 19, Jesus says this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. The, the rotten belt that you and I are have been replaced by Jesus Christ with a fine linen belt. You and I who are left with this cup of wrath that was spilling into our lives, when Jesus Christ goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, He says, Father, let this cup pass before Me. What cup is that? That's the cup of God's wrath. I don't want to get involved with that. But not my will, yours be done. And so just as God's wrath is spilling out, Jesus Christ comes in and says, no, I'll take that cup. So you don't have to take it. 
And Jeremiah were left stumbling around in the dark. And Jesus comes and says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will walk in darkness no longer. In Jeremiah, we've lost our crown. In 1 Timothy, Paul says, there is in store for us a crown. A crown of righteousness. That the Lord Himself will pick up and put on our heads. In Jeremiah, we're left as an exposed prostitute. But listen to this incredible picture, Revelation 21. Jesus is preparing a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And on that day, a loud voice will announce, and and picture this, the marriage has taken place. The the party's going on. The the great reception is happening. And and the couple's going to walk through the door. And this is going to be the first time they're announced as a couple. Now the dwelling of God is with men. And He will live with them. And they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and their God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. We're no longer a prostitute. We're this beautiful bride. The photo album for those who trust in Christ is spectacular. It's one incredible picture after another. And so I'm left with these two questions. If you're here and you don't know Christ, you're you're searching. It's These pictures maybe have stirred something up in you. Probably you've spent much of your life trying to make a good name for yourself. Hoping that if there is a God, when I see Him, I'm going to give Him a good name. You can't have a good enough name. Somebody has to give you their name. Jesus Christ comes and He takes His name and He gives it to you. So you don't have to work for your reputation before men and you don't have to work for your reputation before God. God Almighty has come down and He has given you His name. You can't do good. You can't change your spots. You need some outside help. And there is no other name other than Christ who has come, your Creator, to take that on on your behalf. If you're a believer, I'm pleading with you. Do you have other gods that you're serving? I mean, if we were to lift up your skirt. I mean, you all have nice faces. And I can be easily fooled by shaking your hand as we each try to get a donut that we like. Everybody looks nice, but if we lifted up your skirt today, are there some other pictures? Are there some other things that you're serving? Turn around. 
You are meant to be a very fine ornament. One that should be noticed and looked at. And then you can give glory to God. Are you living that way? Let's pray together. Lord, Jeremiah speaks to us today. He puts up his PowerPoint presentation and hoping to, to lure us in some way to see something that maybe we're just not able to hear. And whether it's the person here who's desperately trying to put together a life or a name so that they might have some hope with you, I pray that they would see that you have given them your name if they just choose to receive and believe in Christ. For those here who have more than one thing on top of their home, who have a pretty face, would you help us mercifully whatever it would take to let go of those things that we serve? So that we might just be this single photograph living for the glory of God alone. Lord, thank you for your many gifts, your word, your people, new members. Thank you for Temple Baptist and their generosity here, for the people who are building our other building. Thank you for the many talents that you've given I pray now as we worship you with our offering, as we consider what Jeremiah has spoken to us today, that you would help us. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.